0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. I'm going to read a couple passages, actually. Um, We're going to read a a couple verses in Acts 1 and then skip over to Ephesians. We'll have it on on the screen if you need to follow along. But um, Acts 1, uh, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?' He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Lord has fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And then while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Today, of course, we talk about the ascension of Christ, his leaving from the earth to heaven to take his place at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he rules over all of creation. We've been teaching through the Apostles' Creed and we continue with that today. We come to the next line in the Apostles' Creed. I'll read the Creed from the beginning and stop at our portion for today that speaks of the ascension. The Creed says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is seated at the right hand of the God the Father Almighty. And so these couple passages um, talked about this event, this Strange event that is odd where Jesus is talking to his disciples and then he just floats up and is taken away from their sight and disappears behind a cloud. Let me ask you this question Which event in Jesus' life, which event of, of all the miracles of Christ is the most important to the Christian faith? Which is the most essential? Is it the incarnation? We've talked about that as we've gone through the creed. The incarnation, God becoming a man and dwelling among us. Is it the crucifixion, Jesus paying the penalty and dying on the cross for our sins? Is it the resurrection, Jesus' conquering of death and sin itself and uh, being risen from the grave? Or is it the ascension, Jesus, Jesus' return to heaven where he rules over creation? Each is incomplete and meaningless without the other. They seem to all be necessary and go together. They become these essential events that all tell one big story. It's like me asking you, which, which organ would you rather do without? Your heart, your brain, your lungs, or your skin? Which one would you want to do without? And you would say, well, is there a, an E, all of the above option? I, I think I want all of them. And you would realize that they are all individually very important, but collectively you need all of them to, to live. You recognize that each is a necessary part in the whole plan of God. And so it is with these critical events in the life of Jesus, his life, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And without one of these events, we fail to receive the fullness of God's blessing and plan of redemption for us. And what seems to be, at least in modern Christian thought, what seems less essential is this event of the ascension. It seems to be clouded out by Christmas and, and Easter and Good Friday. We celebrate those things really prominently in our lives. They're rhythms within our year, but the ascension has lost its meaning, I think, in the lives of Christians today. The ascension is viewed in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the, the event that signaled the Messiah's finished work of atonement for God's people. It was the thing that all the Old Testament looked forward to, where God would would reign from heaven after completing the work of atonement for His people. It was the thing in the New Testament that that looks forward to and points back to that this is a good thing, that God must do this. So it all looked forward to God completing that work for the atonement of His people. But it's likely this event that has, no, who, that has not been on your radar like Christmas and Easter. It's possible that this is because of all those miraculous events that we talked about. Maybe this one, in fact, is the most unbelievable. And let's think about that. We believe that God became a person and dwelled among us. We believe that God died on the cross, that he's taken our sin with him. We believe that he rose from the grave. Conquered death. But then Jesus meets with his disciples after all these things have happened. And he says, I have to leave you now. I have to be taken from you, but I assure you. And here's the unbelievable part. But I assure you, if I leave you, you will be better off than if I stay. And we think to ourselves, how can that be possible? That seems like a line. It sounds like something somebody says when they break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, right? You're better without me. You're going to go so many places. I'm weighing you down. We know a line when we hear one, and this is what Jesus is saying. So all those events, I can get behind all these other things, but that, I don't know if I believe that. Maybe we don't say that consciously, but Which would you rather have, Jesus in heaven on the throne or Jesus in this room with you? When you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're weeping at night, when you're confused, when you don't know the next step to take, Jesus, I just want you here right now. He would tell you, I'm better for you not being with you than being with you. And that's just unbelievable. We don't know how to wrap our mind around that. We don't know how to believe what he says So maybe that's the reason why we don't celebrate it. We don't reflect on it. We don't put that in the rhythm of our lives. This is what Jesus tells his disciples, and it sounds ridiculous. In our passage today, Paul prays for one thing in Ephesians. After looking at this event in Acts chapter 1, Paul prays for one thing, that we would believe this at our core. He prays for these Christians in Ephesus. He says, I, I pray that you would believe this at your core, that you would know the power of Jesus' resurrection, but also the essential benefit of his ascension into heaven and being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And I w- I'm going to pray that you would believe this essential event, and it would direct your life, it would fuel your life, it would fill your life with the fullness of God. The prayer of our passage is that, that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. Why does Paul say that? What does that mean? Why the eyes of our heart? Well, be, because Paul knows that we can't have the eyes of our head enlightened because we can't see Jesus. He's saying since you can't see him, since he has been taken from you, he prays for faith. That's really what it means. It's just an indirect way of saying, I'm praying for faith. I'm praying that you would believe this to be true. Even though you don't see him, you would know you're better off. Without him physically, he prays that they would know that, and that they would rest in the amazing benefit of Christ's ascension into heaven. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for us. That we would know the amazing essential benefit of the ascension for us. That would fill us. That it would fill us in the, with the fullness of His blessing. He mentions three benefits of the Christ's ascension in his passage. We'll look at that today. Because of the ascension, heaven has been opened for us. Because of the ascension, Jesus intervenes for us. And because of the ascension, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Amazing things that maybe we have forgotten. We have forgotten this beautiful ending of Christ's time on earth. Let's see a little bit more of it today. First thing is that because of the ascension, heaven has been open to us. Paul prays that we would know the hope to which we have been called. Hope is one of those wonderful gifts of, from God. It's one of the wonderful gifts of grace that he has given to his people. Hope, and yet it seems that so many people, even Christians, seem to live hope-deprived lives. Perhaps one of the most dirtiest of all secrets in our lives. It's not those, maybe a big despicable sin in your life. Maybe the the dirtiest secret that you have in your life that you're not telling anyone is not this big sin that you're hiding from them, but rather it's the reality of how much you live day to day fueled by fear and insecurity rather than by faith. Maybe that's the big secret that Christians are holding from one another, that it's hard for me to actually believe God, to trust in Him, to rest in Him to have faith and to have hope in what He has promised. We wait for our circumstances to change in our marriage, in our relationships, in our job, in our country. We want things to change, and that's our hope. That hope we hope that things will change. But hope is not a, a set of circumstances in this passage. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. The final hope of all Christians is the endless, joy, joyful existence in the presence of God forever. That is the great hope of all Christians, that we will be with God, and we will be with Him in in His presence and have joy everlasting forever, and no one can take us from that. And this is the very thing that we have been shut out of because of sin. Sin tore us from that endless and joyful experience with God As Adam was cast from the garden and cast out of paradise, the place of pure joy and rest and relationship with God, we have been shut out from heaven because of sin. But, but Jesus came to earth to face what we could not face, to defeat who we could not defeat so that you and I could be with him as forgiven and justified and set free from the curse of sin. It's what we've been talking about the last three weeks or so in the creed, but always worth repeating even again, that God sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sins that we deserve, that we're made right with God when we trust that Jesus' suffering and death satisfied the penalty for our sin. Just a few verses earlier, Ephesians 1 verse 7 reads, In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus, having entered back into heaven, now in the flesh, he secures for us the real hope of heaven, the real hope of being with God forever. Jesus does not ask us to entertain the idea of heaven. He doesn't say, I want you to think about heaven heaven and what that would be like he encourages us to hope for it and we don't use the word hope appropriately in the english language we never speak of it as a guarantee it's usually about a a probability or a percentage i hope to marry someday i hope to get that promotion i hope to get that raise i hope this ranch will clear up whatever (laughs) hey we're human you, it's a probability. It's, I, I hope this is what happens. We never speak to it as a certainty. It's never certain. We merely entertain the idea of it. But the ascension is meant to change the way that we think about the future. When you trust in Jesus, there's a certain future that is yours. As Jesus pierces the clouds and enters into heaven as a human, he opens the doors of heaven that was previously closed from us. He opens the door to heaven. He secures our way to heaven. It's it's guaranteed if we are in Christ, then we are in heaven. We are seated with Him, the Bible says, in, in heavenly places. We are with Him. Our union with Him means that wherever He is, we are and we will be once and for all eventually. There's a certain future that is, that belongs to those who trust in Jesus. It's a guarantee. It is, it is sealed. The outcome of our destiny and life has already been written. It is the endless and joy-filled presence of God in heaven with Him forever. The word but, B-U-T, might be the most hope-filled word in all of Scripture. You are once destined to For hell, Ephesians tells us, according to your evil deeds and the hardness of heart. But God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The doors of heaven were closed, but now they are opened because of Jesus and he is there. And he is gracious and merciful. You were once separated from the life of God without communion with God. But God removed the dividing wall of hostility between sinners and the holiness of God. You were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And now there is nothing hindering your friendship with him. You were once without hope in the world, but God sealed you with his promised inheritance. Hope is a word that is filled with such certainty. But is a great word in the Bible. I'm reminded of a conversation I've had about heaven with a person skeptical of the Christian faith. And I asked him, I said, talk to me about heaven. When you think of being with God in heaven, what do you think is required of a person to get to heaven? And he said, well, heaven for me has always felt like this. Heaven is like when I was a teenager and I got my license and, my, and, I, and I took the car out and, and I, I left for the day, the night, and my dad said, you can take the car, but you have to be home before the porch light comes on. And if you're not home, by the time the porch light comes on, I'm locking the front door and you're going to have to stay outside. And so this is the kind of the way I see heaven, that God has given us commands and if I'm not home, if I do not follow his commands, then I'll be locked out of heaven forever. He comes knocking on the door, and no one answers. And this is a creative way to think about it. But the problem with this is this. You see, one of his brothers already showed up, Adam. And Adam came home late, and the door was shut. And we have come home late. And the question isn't, can you get in? The question is, how does anybody get in? How does anybody ever show up on time? Is there any, has there ever been anyone who has ever showed up on time before the lights have come on. We come knocking on the door and it's locked. And every and, and Adam's failure and Adam's rebellion and disobedience of God has been the cause of all of our showing up late and all of our rebellion and all, all, all our sins. The door has been locked forever. And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone who answers... I will come into him and they will be with me and we will be together forever. You see, that door has been closed. And Jesus says, now I'm opening the door. If you know me and trust in me and acknowledge, your, acknowledge that that door has been shut because of your sin, acknowledge um, why I came to earth and, this, and the death I had to... I had to receive the punishment I had to receive for your sins. If you believe that you're in need of that and you trust in, in my work for you and my, my perfect life and righteousness and my, my resurrection for power over sin, then that door is opened and we will be together forever. Something has happened in the ascension by Jesus going up into heaven as a man who lived and died and rose Christ opened heaven that was locked because of Adam. Without the ascension, heaven would be closed for us. So we're thankful and glad that Jesus has gone up to heaven because he has opened that door for us. That's the first benefit, that heaven's been opened for us. Here is the second. Not only does the ascension show us that heaven's been opened, but Jesus intervenes for us. Paul prays that we would know the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. With this benefit, we're meant, we're meant for our imagination to become a reality. Not any imagination, but imagine how good Jesus has it right now. Just, would you do that? Just imagine how good Jesus has it right now. Imagine what he went through. I mean, imagine his life of humiliation and burden. He's described as a man of sorrows, a man of suffering. He traveled to earth, he became a man. Imagine how, how difficult that was and humiliating that was. The excruciating life that he lived, the, the painful death that he received, the, the betrayal of everyone he knew. The wrath of God poured out on him. He, he died, he was buried, he was abandoned, and then he rose. And he goes up to heaven and now he's resting. He's resting. Imagine how good he has it right now. You have never experienced the satisfaction from a job well done like Jesus is experiencing right now. You know what it's like to go through excruciating pain, but accomplish something and say, I'm so glad that that is over, and now I'm enjoying the rest of knowing that that is over. You've never experienced that kind of satisfaction like Jesus is experiencing right now. He went through all of that, and now he's resting in glory. Imagine now what it will be like to be with him in that same state of existence. Imagine that. I mean, I really want you to let your imagination run wild. We are meant to imagine that the inheritance that Jesus' followers have received who died and are already with him, the saints, the followers who are with him in spirit and have fought their last battle, and are now in peace and in paradise with Christ, we are meant to imagine what that will be like one day with them. Now imagine that Jesus now is talking to God the Father on your behalf to give you such things. Right now, imagine that Jesus is talking to God the Father, pleading with the God the Father on your behalf for your rest. For your comfort, for your faith, for your encouragement, for the strengthening of your hearts, for your courage and wisdom in the midst of trials. He intercedes for you. He intervenes for you. An intercessor is is someone who intervenes on behalf of someone else. It's the work of a priest. A priest is a a mediator, an intercessor, an intervener on behalf of people in need of help. And the intercessor always has the ear of God. Right now, at this very moment, Jesus is talking to God the Father about you. And they are not... It's not gossip of of, of wrongdoing. He is not reminding God of your sins. He is praying for you on your behalf. He's asking the Father to strengthen you, to give you faith, to comfort you in the joy of your salvation. And the Father listens to His faithful Son. The Father listens to Jesus. God the Father hears the prayers of His Son, Jesus. He listens to the prayers of His Son. And God grants the prayers of His Son always and every time. He is praying for you right now. Jesus is our lawyer in heaven Whenever Satan brings accusation and charge against you to the Father, whenever he brings an accusation to your conscience and says, hey, do you remember, I know that you believe that Jesus loves you and cares for you, but you realize that you're a failure, right? You realize that you're a fraud. You realize that you don't have strong faith. Don't you remember all this this host of sins that you have committed in your life? And Jesus is there speaking in the ear of the Father and saying, look at me. Don't look at their sin. Look at me. Look at my righteousness. Look at my perfection. Look at my love. Look at my faith. Look at, look at everything that I am and treat them as if, as, as if they have done everything that I have done. The Father listens to His Son. The Father, he has, the Son has the ear Of his father. When the devil says that one's a sinner, murderous in his heart, an adulterer, a fraud, he doesn't really live like a Christian that he should, Jesus stands ready to defend us and to plead his own blood for us. Think about that. When a memory of our sin is brought to the ears of God, Jesus directs his attention away from our sin and points it to his righteousness. In Christ, we are beautiful in God's sight and free from condemnation. That is what the ascension gives to us, that Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying, constantly, always having the ears of the Father. And he is praying good things for you. Whenever you read of Scripture, pay attention to Jesus' prayers. The prayers in John 17 that we would be one with the Father, that we would be strengthened in faith, that we would know the love of God, and that it would go into the deepest part of our hearts and minds. And then that would direct everything that we do, every motive, every attitude, every hope, every fear. Jesus prays for those things, and He is praying to God that we would have them, And He assures us that we will. Jesus says, if you pray anything in my name, the Father will hear you and he will give it to you. What does that mean then when Jesus prays? Do you think Jesus is praying in his name? Of course he is. He cannot do anything but pray in faith in his name. Anything Jesus says for us will come true. What a great blessing and benefit we have. We want Jesus to be in heaven. We want him to have the ear of the Father. We want him to be whispering these things constantly on our behalf. And he is doing that. The final benefit of the ascension, which our passage references, is this, that the Holy Spirit is given to us. Paul prays for one final thing. He he prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. So we close where we began. For the disciples to see Jesus, for the disciples to see Jesus leave them, they would understandably uh, become discouraged. This would make them, wonder and be discouraged why is he leaving us it would feel literally that they lost jesus they would never again sit and have a meal with him on earth they would never again listen to him teach on the hillside they would never again feel his comforting touch with his hand as he comforts them in their sorrows and grief reminding them that he has conquered the earth And they're probably realizing in an instant that all of that is gone forever and they would become discouraged. See, we want to believe in God and find rest in his promises. But most of the time, I bet it might feel that we have been left to ourselves to fight these battles. We want to believe that Jesus is with us and that he comforts us. But I bet most of the time it feels like he has left us. Like the disciples were feeling as they looked up into heaven and he disappears behind the clouds. The ascension assures us something different than that fear. The, assurance, the, the ascension assures us that by leaving, Jesus would send the Holy Spirit who would give us the power of God and the presence of God forever wherever we went. And there would never be a time when we are outside of the presence of God. And it doesn't mean in the sense that God lives in your heart like a friend or a comforting therapist. It means that the exalted king of the universe dwells in you with all power and peace and plans for us at his disposal. The Apostle Paul in our passage writes to a group of of new Christians who are needing some encouragement in their trials They're needing some guidance in life. They're feeling left alone. They're feeling that God has has left from them. And they're wondering, how can it be better that Jesus is not with us than having been with us? And what Paul wants for them so badly is for them to know how the ascended Jesus would be better for them than the non-ascended Jesus. And Paul is being intentionally obnoxious about how the, way, the way he's describing what he hopes for them. He says, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of the power of God. He uses, he uses three Greek words. It's the heartbeat of this passage. The three Greek words are rendered in the English, hyperbolic mega dynamite. Okay, Paul is saying, I want you to know the hyper-mega-dynamite of the resurrection and ascension that is yours, that the, the, the power of God that is yours because Jesus has left. He wants us to know, not just know about, but he wants us to truly know that the ascension will be like a spiritual dynamite that goes off in our hearts, that explodes in our being, that gives us the fullness of God, that could not happen if Jesus were with us. To want to be with Jesus physically on this earth would would be to want a lesser thing. And that feels unbelievable. It feels ridiculous. Paul is saying for Jesus to leave and to give you this spiritual dynamite that goes off in your heart will radically change everything in your life the benefits of the ascension are not only spiritual as if to say i know one day i'll be in heaven with jesus and that's my hope that is selling it way too short he means not only the rescue from the spiritual problems of our lives but he means that it will bring all of human life to its fullest potential even on earth that experiencing the power of God's presence in our life through the given gift of the Holy Spirit, that even in a physical sense, on earth, before we get to heaven, we can experience the fullness of God's peace and love and joy as if we have already attained it, but yet it is still held and hidden in heaven for us. You and I often live way below the level of blessing that that is promised to us in Christ. We have far less peace than is promised to us, far less comfort, far less security and hope than what is promised to us because Jesus is in heaven. We have the power of the resurrection and we go on day by day as if we have been left to fend for ourselves. We have the presence of the king of kings, creator of the universe, God almighty in our lives. And we go on day by day as if God is just speaking little self-help words of encouragement from heaven to us. Try harder. Be bolder. Trust deeper. And we say, I know I can do this. I can work harder. I can do this. I can be a better Christian. I can have stronger faith. Here is the purpose of your life. The mission of your life is for every breath, every moment, every attitude, every action to be shaped by the reality of the resurrected Jesus who sits enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. To be directed by that that influence and power and reality. Jesus wasn't merely a good teacher or political leader or a social Activists or an example to emulate. He was and is the king of kings who stepped out of eternity and came into our life to take upon himself the full measure of our sin and to direct your life as, it's, as, if it, as it relates to every action, every feeling, every hope, every attitude, every value, every dream, every ambition, and every outcome. There is not a single square inch of the world and all of creation, that Christ does not claim with the words, this is mine. Because Jesus is in heaven, because of the ascension, he sits over all of creation. And the Bible says that everything has been made a footstool. He says, all of this is mine. The world belongs to Jesus. That's what the ascension proves. Christ really is in control. Christ really rules over it. And he has won a decisive victory over the dark powers of sin that once ruled in our lives. And the full manifestation of that is just a matter of time. J.I. Packer describes it this way, which I thought was helpful and practical. He says, it is like a chess game that has been won, but the loser hasn't given up yet. That's where we live right now. If you're united to Jesus through faith, The bad things will turn out for your good. The good things will never be taken from you. And the best things are yet to come. If you are united to Christ, then those things are true. The level of struggle in this life from person to person will vary, but the reality is the same. Jesus on the throne solves the problem of feeling hopeless in the midst of struggle. Jesus on the throne. And what we want in our midst of struggle is to say, Jesus, would you come down from heaven and just be with me? But the problem is solved of our comfort in having everything at Jesus' disposal. He says, don't you know though, but by being in heaven, all the power, all the resources, all the riches of heaven, all the comfort of heaven, all of that, all those tools are now at my disposal by being in heaven rather than by being with you at earth. Because now I can give you the very power that rose me from the dead can dwell in you and give you comfort. The ascension is not only for future salvation, but present confidence. It means that you can give up control over every detail of your life because the resurrected Jesus holds the world in his hands. The the, The ascended Christ proves that the world is his. He's conquered it and he's in control of it. It means you don't have to fear what others might think of you because the resurrected Jesus has secured your eternal blessing and future with him. It means you don't have to look elsewhere for true satisfaction because the resurrected Jesus satisfies us with the riches of his inheritance. It means you don't have to pretend that you're better than you really are because the risen Jesus has proven himself and he advocates for you. He speaks on your behalf. His blood covers our sin. Now, I bet, no matter how encouraged you are, you're not going to think about the ascension for a while. You're going to think about it today and and maybe for a few more days, but you're not going to think about it for a while. And so I just want, want to say this. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And He has with Him all the angels... All authority and all power that is at his disposal for all his plans for you. One of God's motivations for raising Jesus from the grave and receiving him back into heaven was so that he could give him to you without any reservation. To minister to you, to strengthen you, to love you, to care for you, to complete in you the glorious work of his transformation into his image that means he has never that means he is more nearer to you having ascended into heaven than having not that's hard to believe it is meant the ascension is not made to meant uh, is not meant to make us wonder like the disciples did where did jesus go the reality of this ascension should not make you feel or wonder where is god But instead, it should make us wonder, is there really anywhere I could go or anything I can experience where God is not with me fully, completely, lovingly? There's nowhere we can go. There's nothing we can experience where God is not with us. May God open the eyes of our hearts to see what is the real hope that He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance, Let's pray.